Just before we jump in, let me pray for us. Father, we, we do pray that you are praised and you are glorified here today. Lord, that we would know your will uh, for our lives, Lord, that we would follow you alone and trust you alone. Lord, may we see your word um, and your work in our life in a new way today as we think about how you approach us and call us to trust in you. So we lift up this time, Lord, we pray that your word speaks powerfully to us. Amen. Well, some of you might know this, but uh, I used to work in construction and building custom homes. I, I wasn't the mastermind behind it. I was doing a lot of the grunt work. Um, and one day we were working on a house up in the hills in um, just kind of middle of nowhere, Arizona. And it was a house that we were redoing the deck of, but the, the driveway was real steep and it was all rocks. Um, and we were redoing this deck and tearing out a bunch of brick and woods. And I was in charge of driving the dump truck. So we filled up the back of this truck with just tons of bricks. It was super heavy, really easy to get up. Um, as I started to go down the hill, I started to slide. <laughs> and on either side of this um, driveway, there was a steep fall. And I'm sliding down the right side. And as I start to slide, I slam on the brakes. Nothing's working. I just keep sliding. And then I'm like, well, this is it. Um, <laughs> about to go down a hill in a dump truck. And then I just feel this dunk. And sure enough, there was this tiny little tree <laughs> on the side of the driveway that stopped this truck. It was a miracle. It absolutely was. But the guy that was a supervisor over me, Joel, came over to the window and he said, are you okay? It's like, I will be if you help me. So he gets in the truck, pulls it back up, and he looks at me and he says, Clint, if this ever happens again, do you know what to do? No, I would do the exact same thing. He said, the only way to regain control is by letting off the brake. And I was like, what? <laughs> so if you keep sliding, if you keep trying to stop the truck, you won't. You need to let off the brake. And I was like, okay. So we actually had to do it a few more times. And in those times, that's what I had to do. I had to listen to what he said, let off the brake, and I made it down the hill. Now, sometimes that's how it can feel to trust God in our lives, right? It can feel that uncomfortable, you want me to let off the brake? <laughs> you want me to, to let off control? It, it feels so deeply counterintuitive uh, because what we want in our lives is security. What we want in our lives is comfort. And that is not a comfortable thing to do, to trust someone's word that actually letting off the brake and letting them take control is the best thing for us. But just like I did and learned, the more and more that I was able to see how it worked, the more I did it, the easier it became to be the kind of person that could back a truck down a driveway that had loose rocks on it. And today we're continuing in our series uh, called The Great Physician. 
Um, it's where we look at instances in which Jesus, while he was on earth uh, throughout the Gospels, is interacting with individuals. Um, not just interacting with him, but, but we're looking specifically at what was Jesus' method with individuals in order to bring them healing. So either uh, to bring uh, someone who's sinful forgiveness, to bring someone who's lost some sense of purpose, to bring someone who is self-important humility. And today we are looking at Mary, um, Jesus' own mother. And we just read the story, the wedding in Cana, and we'll get to that later Um, But it is important to to say as we approach the topic of Mary, Jesus' mother, um, that there are some faith traditions that exalt Mary almost to a level of God. They they claim that she was some kind of perfect person. But the reality, as we'll see even in the scriptures today, um, she needed God just as much as any of us. Uh, She struggled and she was in need of a lot of grace. So Mary is not someone we believe we need to pray to, someone who accomplishes anything for us. But as we'll see today, she's totally someone we can learn from. After all, Mary was chosen by God and empowered by God to carry out one of the most important tasks in human history. And we see that she did so with humility and obedience. Right. We think of Mary when we think of Mary, we think of Mary in the, in the Christmas story where the angel goes to her and tells her of uh, the coming Messiah who she will give birth to. And we see Mary as the one who just says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. So we have to ask the question then, if that's the posture of Mary, if that's what she's like, well, isn't she already humble and obedient and favored by God? What need does she have from Jesus? So that's a great question to ask. In what way does, does Mary need healing? In what way does Mary need help? Well, actually, when we survey the passages that we will today throughout the New Testament, we see that Mary is constantly challenged with the same question. Is this really God's plan for me? Is this really it? Is this what God actually has in mind? And I don't know where you're at today, but I can assume assume that in, in some area of your life, you're asking that exact same question. Is this it? Is this what God has for me? Is, is this really the best plan? <laughs> And this is not an unholy question to ask. Uh, We see people throughout the scriptures asking the same question. This is why we petition the Lord every week, because we think that he needs to invade our brokenness. Uh, But this, these passages focus in on how Jesus interacts with someone who's asking that question. Is this really the plan? So before we do what we normally do and reach for our phones to get a quick answer... (laughs) Just Google it. Um, Let's actually dive in and see what these passages have to say. Because actually what we see is that Jesus leads Mary through a long process throughout her life. And especially in the most uncomfortable moments to produce in her a faith that's unshakable. And he does that by helping her ponder his promises 
trust in his plan, and rest in his provision. And those are the three points we're going to look at today. Jesus' method with her is to lead her to ponder his promises, trust in his plan, and rest in his provision. So before we get into point one of pondering his promises, let's just do a little bit of scene setting, right? We already talked a little bit about Mary's story in Luke 1, but, but who was Mary? Um, she was a, a teenager in Nazareth when the angel came to her. Um, and as we learned last week, Nazareth, not the best place in the ancient world. Um, but it, we, we come to her in Luke 1 and it says she was married or she was engaged to be married to Joseph, who was in the royal line of King David. That's about as good as it gets if you're in Nazareth. <laughs> you're engaged to be the wife of someone who's in the royal line of King David. She's kind of like started to get her life going in the exact track that anyone would want to go, right? She's got security. She's got a good life. She's got a husband-to-be. And then she's visited by the angel. Out of nowhere, she is visited by the angel who says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And obviously she's afraid of what's going to happen. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never have an end. Obviously, Mary asked the obvious question, how is this going to happen since I'm a virgin and I'm not married yet? Well, the angel tells her that this will be a work of God, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and conceive this child for you. And then the angel says this word, it's so important in Luke 1 37, he says, you can trust because no word from God will ever fail for no word from God will ever fail. And that's when Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. But in that moment, Mary's life was totally upended. <laughs> All the comfort and security that, that she had is completely up in the air. And this is why it's significant that it starts with her hearing, for no word from the Lord will ever fail. And this is where we see God start to lead Mary to ponder his promises. And that's point one. We're going to look at how he leads her to ponder his promises. Now, I was shocked. I was reading a book Um, A few months ago from John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, Um, and he he says this stat. He says, "Um, our attention span is dropping with each passing year. In in the year 2000, before the digital revolution, it was 12 seconds. So we weren't exactly working with a lot of wiggle room here. Um, And then since it's dropped to eight seconds. To put that in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. (laughs) Yes, that's right. We're losing to a goldfish. And if you've stayed with me throughout that quote, that was about 60 seconds. 
So congratulations, you're genius. Compared to a goldfish. Um, no, but, but really, I think one of the symptoms of our age is we've lost the ability to ponder. We've lost the ability to really think through things deeply. But Mary's life was one that was marked by pondering, pondering God's words, right? And in Luke 2, we read just after Jesus' birth, the shepherds are going to tell Mary and Joseph what they've just heard from the angels. And it says in Luke 2, 17, and all who heard what the shepherds had said wondered at it. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary was, was a ponderer, and, and she was asking the questions. Now, pondering in this context doesn't just mean like, oh, that's interesting. What it means is actually taking ideas, throwing them together, and having an internal dialogue. Um, another biblical word for that is meditation. Not just em- not emptying our minds of things, but actually wrestling with truth. But, but notice it doesn't just stop in her head, but she ponders them in her heart. And then it says that the things that she's pondered, she treasures them. So you see that progression, right? We have the truth that's pondered until it reaches her heart, and then she treasures them. So what were the things that she was pondering? Well, Gabriel says to her that Jesus, the son she's going to have, is going to be the son of God. He's going to be the king who reigns forever. The shepherds said that Jesus will be the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Simon, a prophet, tells Mary that that Jesus will bring salvation to all people, both Jew and Gentile. So these things are bouncing around in Mary's head, and she's really thinking about the significance of them. But also, it's not just good things that are promised. Hardships promised as well. We read in the same passage where uh, Simeon is talking to Mary and Joseph. He turns to Mary and says, This child is destined to cause, cause the, the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed. And then he says, imagine leans in and says, And, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And and this is what we can trust so much about God's promises is he doesn't just promise us the good stuff. His promises are utterly trustworthy, right? No word from the Lord will ever fail, but they're also uncomfortably realistic. Jesus does not promise us complete and utter bliss in this life. He promises us that it will be hard. That, that hardship shapes our character. So what could Mary be thinking as she promises, or as she ponders these promises throughout her young life? Well, she's thinking, how could the son of God come into a mother of a baby before her wedding night? What are you going to say to your friends? And after giving birth away from home, Mary's pondering these promises as she has to flee and become an immigrant to Egypt with her family because there's a dictator bent on killing her son. Eventually, Mary has to be a single mother 
We don't know exactly what's happened, but most likely Joseph dies when Jesus is a teenager. But God's promises never fail. This wasn't Mary's plan, though. So how does she make it through? Well, she keeps those promises. She treasures those promises so much so that they are in her heart. She ponders them. So a simple application here. What promises are you pondering? What are you doing today that helps when tomorrow comes? What are you doing today to prepare you for a big move or when a job falls through or when a relationship ends or when your life continues exactly the same as it is now? What promises of God are you treasuring or pondering in your heart that helps you when those times come? Is it news anchors? Telling you that everything's getting better? Is it politicians who are going to promise to reform everything? Is it leaders in your life? Is it family? Or maybe you trust your own promises. (laughs) I've set goals for this year and I'm going to achieve them. Maybe it's your vision board. (laughs) Maybe it's your do-it-yourself, work harder, get better. But our promises and the promises of anyone other than God are not trustworthy in the same way that we can lean in true faith on God's promises like Mary did. And we won't grow in our faith until we let God's promises that never fail truly sink into our hearts. Because when the moment comes and we say, is this really the plan? Is the promises that we ponder in the good times that will shape our faith when everything unravels. So pondering God's promises helps Mary take the next step in Jesus' method with her, which is Jesus helps her trust in his plan. So he, he helps her ponder his promises so he can lead her to trust in his plan. Now, I was reflecting with my mom the other day about um, my grandma. Uh, I lost my grandma a few years ago, and sometimes we just talk about her and, and things that we used to do. And one thing I very specifically remember about my grandma is um, whenever she would come uh, and visit us, um, nearly every night, uh, we'd be about to get in bed and we'd be wearing our pajamas, and she'd come into the room and say, All right, come on, let's go. Like, go where? She's like, Get in the car. Um, and we'd get in the car and we would go to McDonald's. And we would get an ice cream sundae or a McFlurry um, or something that we obviously wanted but probably shouldn't have had. Um, And every time my mom would be like, what are you doing? They need to go to bed. (laughs) Um, But my grandma would insist, no, this is really what they want. Um, And that's wonderful. And I love my grandma for that. Um, But if I live my life that way, always getting what I always wanted, um, I would not have grown up to be a functional human being, (laughs) right? I would not have grown up to understand the world or be disciplined um, or know what it is to trust um, and follow through. And actually, C.S. Lewis picks up on this because he says, sometimes what we want is not a father in heaven, but a grandfather in heaven, 
What we want is a senile benevolence who says, um, well, they just like to see young people enjoying themselves. Or who plans, whose plan for the universe was at the end of the day that a good time would be had by all. <laughs> and that's actually sometimes what we view God as and want him to be, as someone who, who just does what we want him to do. But what we see in Mary's life is actually it's, it's the pain and it's the hardship and it's the discomfort. It's the times that where she feels out of control that God uses as opportunities to really grow her. So we're going to look at three of those instances very quickly. First, in Luke 2, when Jesus was at the temple as a child, um, if you know the story, uh, they were there for the Passover. And actually, um, they traveled on a, few, or a day's journey without Jesus, um, only to find that he was just in the temple. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus says to her, these are actually Jesus' first recorded words. Why are you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So Jesus right here in this moment is reminding Mary that he's on a different timeline and he's under a different authority. But yet the text says that he was 12 and, and he actually left and was completely obedient to his mother. And uh, but we see again, coming up with, with the passage that we read earlier today at the wedding in Cana, we see the next interaction between Jesus and Mary. And, and here we see that actually the relationships shifted. It's changed. As G. Campbell Morgan says, um, in this moment, he was no longer subject to her in any way. So we read the story. We know the story. They're at a wedding. And it says uh, in John 2, 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, why was this a big deal? Well, in... Um, in that day, um, it was the bridegroom's responsibility to provide wine uh, for the wedding, to provide all the feasts and all the food. Um, and they actually would have weddings span over multiple days. And one of the greatest dishonors was to not have enough. Uh, but what that did was reflect on the bridegroom's provision for the bride. Um, and actually, in that day, you could have been sued <laughs> for not having enough at the wedding because of damages, which is crazy to think about. But this is a big deal. And Jesus comes to him, um, is very invested in this, and says they have no more wine. What does Jesus say to her? He says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, we, we hear that, and it sounds quite disrespectful. And Jesus here, when he's saying this, isn't being disrespectful, but it is meant to be taken as a correction. It's meant to be a, a reminder to Mary that, that Jesus is no longer working on her timetable or to her instruction. But there was a greater work that he was preparing for. And again, in Mark 3, we see the next interaction between Jesus and Mary. And this is the final correction of Jesus to Mary. And some, in some ways, it's almost the hardest to swallow. 
when Jesus was in the middle of his ministry, after he had called the disciples, we actually see that, that there were so many crowds around them that they didn't even have time to eat. So it makes sense that a mother would be concerned, correct? Um, so we see in Mark 3, 21, that when his family heard about this and the busyness of his ministry, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And then later on in Mark 3, we read, and a crowd was sitting around them and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. What does Jesus say? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, if you think about it at this point, Jesus would have been the sole provider for the family if Joseph was gone. So for a mother to hear this, talk about a sword piercing her soul, right? But notice the language in Mark 3.21. It says they were going there and they went to take charge of him. Other translations say they were going to seize him. It's the same word that's used throughout the Gospels as arresting. So what was happening here? What was Jesus doing? Well, many commentators note that the significance of these movements is that Jesus is actually creating more and more space between him and Mary as her son. Jesus is lovingly rebuking Mary so that she can understand that there's actually no inside track to changing or influencing Jesus' plans. Even though Mary's life is not going according to her plan, whether that was on her timetable, comfort level, or the the right relationship that she wanted, the security that she needed, Jesus was deliberately showing that he had a different way and that there was a better way. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, okay, well, but Mary should have known. She heard he was the son of God. Didn't she remember all the promises of what was going to happen for this coming Messiah? Didn't she know what to expect? But, But don't we fall into that exact same trap? Telling God the best way to run our lives when we really feel like the plan is not the best. Except we actually have even less of a claim of authority on Jesus' rule over our lives than than Mary did. And we can do this by a few ways. And and what creeps in is, is actually questioning God's goodness when the things that we want don't happen. And often this results in us actually just forging our own path instead of following his instruction. So where in your life, can I ask you, is it difficult to trust God's plan right now? Where in your life are you raising your hand and saying, I'm not sure if this is it. Where are you tempted to say, Jesus, are you out of your mind? Well, today, just like Mary, Jesus is inviting you to trust him. He's inviting you to trust his ultimate plan his perfect will. Because what we'll see next 
is that only when we trust Jesus' plan can we actually rest in his provision. Only when we trust in Jesus' plan can we rest in his provision, which is our final point today. So we might be asking, I know that God is calling me to trust in his plan, but why would I want to do that if it's this hard? (laughs) Because he who promised is faithful. And when we trust him, we actually get a front row seat into his provision for our lives. Let's go back to the passage that we read today because something beautiful happens here. And Mary actually gives us a model to change from control to trust. So do you notice what happens? Jesus says this to her, that it's not my hour. Why do you involve me in this? And then she says to the servants right around him, do whatever he tells you. Now that that kind of seems like she's still taking control, but what she's doing there is literally leaving the situation in Jesus' hands. Right? She doesn't say... Jesus, just tell them what to do. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And in that instance, Mary's moving from a life of control to a life of trust. She's literally leaving it in the Lord's hands. And by this, she is trusting Jesus and being obedient to him. So what happens next when she trusts and obeys. Well, we actually see an incredible miracle. We see the first miracle, the first sign where Jesus turns water into wine. But when Jesus does it on his terms, he makes the best wine. When Jesus does it on his terms and to his plan, he makes more than enough. Though he didn't fix the problem in her way, he supplied far more than she would have ever even asked for, and in a way that showed his glory. Now, the insight here, uh, a commentator, D.A. Carson, gets it spot on. He says, now get this, Mary first approached Jesus as a mother and is reproached. But she responds as a believer and her faith is honored. Mary first approached Jesus as his mother and is reproached, but she responds as a believer and her faith is honored. For Mary, Jesus needed to change from from him being her son to him being her savior. So when we approach Jesus as anything other than our Lord and our Savior, we actually don't get more of his provision. We get less. And this is no more clear than in John 19, the final time where we see Jesus and Mary interacting. This is at the end of the Gospel of John. And we we see this scene as Mary and the other disciples, some of the other disciples are actually just standing at the cross looking up at Jesus. And really what we see is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. A sword will pierce your own soul too. And in this moment, right, when all seemed lost, when all was hopeless, 
This was the ultimate situation where Mary must have been asking, is this really the plan? It was, in fact, on the cross that Jesus' hour had come. The wine that was provided miraculously at the wedding party was just a small picture of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross that provides a way for anyone to trust in him and be saved. And those who trust in this act of provision will always have a right relationship with Jesus. And this is the moment that truly sealed the salvation of God that Mary was promised. Jesus was now being shown as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what does Jesus do in this desperate hour? Well, we see when, when he's hanging on the cross, Jesus actually has a tender provision for his mom. John nineteen twenty six. it says, When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple who he loved nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So even in Jesus' greatest act of provision, he was still thinking about the small things. He was still thinking about the earthly ways in which he was providing for his mother. At a time, what looked like the end, it was actually just the beginning. Because what looked like a failed plan three days later, Jesus rose from the grave to never die again and actually be able to offer that life of salvation to anyone who would trust and believe in him with their life. This is the ultimate provision that all of this points towards. And this is how Jesus provides for us. Ultimately, as he pays for our sins, but also as he calls us every day to trust him more and more deeply with the things of our life. So, what is Jesus to you today? Is he a contractor? <laughs> a consultant? Is he, is he someone who is just helping you out? Or are you trusting in him for provision? for ultimate provision? Are you trusting him to be your savior, to be your Lord? Because what we see is when we, when we ponder God's promises, it prepares us to trust in his plan. And when we trust in Jesus' plan, that's the only time we can actually rest in his provision. So in what ways is God calling you today to trust in his plan in your life? Both in the big stuff of the salvation of your soul, but also in the small things. Because what we see is actually when we trust Jesus with all of it, that's when we can rest, truly rest in his plan. May we cling to the God who provides all things to us in Christ. Let me pray. God, may we be those who trust in you who trust in your plan, who, who ponder your promises. Lord, not, not in a superficial way, but in a way that gives us a faith that is unshakable and what you will do. Lord, trusting in you as, as the one who provides all things. We know that you are good. We know that you are sovereign.
We know that you are powerful, Lord. Let us not be the one in the driver's seat, but Lord, let us be the one who listens to you in every step of our lives. That, that would help us to rest ultimately in your provision, Lord. Amen.